Hello, and welcome to the weekly podcast of C2 Church in Columbia, Missouri. We've been talking about being unstoppable, and whether it's being an unstoppable church or as an individual believer being unstoppable, we've talked about the fact that if you want to live the unstoppable life, if we want to be an unstoppable church, then we have to live being empowered by the Holy Spirit to allow the Holy Spirit of God to fill us. And from that infilling, begin to act accordingly. If you've ever tried to live the Christian life on your own, you know how much of a struggle it can be. Well, you weren't meant to live the Christian life on your own. In fact, Jesus' promise was that he would provide a helper, the Holy Spirit, that would come in, in greater power after the disciples waited for this gift. Those were his last instructions. And once having waited, after Jesus had ascended, they waited 10 days together in prayer and in fellowship. And in this moment, the supernatural moment, the Holy Spirit comes in power and fills the believers gathered together that day on the day of Pentecost. And from this, we see it being a catalyst for the movement of what would be called Christianity. One of the defining things I believe in the spirit-filled believer's life that you have to have, that the, the Spirit of God enables you and empowers you to do, is to serve. That's what I, I want to talk about this morning and share with you some of the things that have inspired me. My grandfather, who passed away this, this past October, was an inspiration of what a servant leader looks like and what a a servant's heart looked like. He pastored for nearly 40 years, and then when he retired, I use quotes, he retired to become a full-time missionary with my grandmother to the continent of Africa. And they spent the next 20 years traveling throughout Africa, raising money for Bible schools and churches. He oftentimes himself building those, those uh, buildings with his own hands. And they, their heart was in Africa. And I, I saw him and I heard the stories. In fact, I, I got to spend some time with my grandmother this past week and she was sharing stories of how Grandpa, in building the very first church, was basically the general contractor and built the church with his own two hands. And he set that example of servant leadership. No, nobody outworked Grandpa. <laughs> you could try. You would not succeed. And it was as a kid, I remember my grandfather, whenever he had a project, he would invite us to participate. And he would lead the way in serving and making sure it got done. And I... I've seen in many of you these aspects that I want to talk about this morning that I believe come from the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here's what I've seen in people who have been great servants. One, they reflect the attitude of a servant. The attitude of a servant. Really, that attitude comes from the example of Christ Philippians chapter 2, I often cite it because it's the inspiration and it's, it's the bar at which I can measure myself. The, the example of Christ, the, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, 
If you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. It's also on the Version app this morning. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul the Apostle writes this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus sets for us this example. He sets the bar high by becoming low. Kind of oxymoronic, don't you think? He sets the bar high by becoming low. In fact, his own words were things like, if you want to be great, you will be the least. And he says things like, the student will never be greater than his master. If I have suffered, you will suffer. If I serve, you must serve. I like what the Greek says in this passage in Philippians, in verse 7, where it says, he made himself nothing. It, the actual term means to empty himself. He emptied himself of, of his divine power, relying fully on the Holy Spirit, and then allowing the Holy Spirit power within his humanness to be made manifest, to be made full. So if you think Jesus was tapping into the divine nature that he had, he didn't. Scripture tells us that he emptied himself of this while having the form of it, he did not, having equality with God, it says, he did not grasp onto it. He did not hold on to it. He flips the paradigm. You know, I know in our, in our culture, the, if, you, if you want to be great, you, you got to fight for it. You got to kind of push others out of the way. You kind of got to make room for yourself. You got to claw your way to the top at the expense of others oftentimes. And Jesus flips the paradigm of, of our culture and, and even the culture of his own time. He says, look, I came to serve, not to be served. This was the guy they were proclaiming as king. And he's saying, look, I didn't, I didn't come so that I could have people around me meeting my every need. All my needs are met by God the Father. I came to serve, not to be served. And he says things to his disciples like, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Uh, what, Jesus? Could you say that again? If you want to be first, you become last. This is the way the kingdom of God works. It's opposite of the kingdom of our world and our culture. That if you want to be first, you be first. Right? You ask, ask any preschool class to line up. What do they do? They're all fighting to be first. When we have an all-church picnic with a buffet, right? 
Now, somebody has to go first or we'll never eat. I understand this. But the first will be last and the last will be first. This is a kingdom principle. Greatness means becoming a servant. And here's where the role of the Holy Spirit is important. Because this is the reason the Holy Spirit is given to believers. And and the full manifest power of the Holy Spirit is for the accomplishment of the mission, the gospel. You see, the gospel is proclaimed through preaching, but demonstrated through serving. Oftentimes we say things like, uh, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I want to see what you're saying. That our actions speak louder than words. And we know that in our culture, this is what helps people understand the truth of the gospel is the demonstration of the gospel through serving. The Spirit is given to those who are obedient and have the purity of motive. Many times when talking about the Holy Spirit and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there seems to be some other motive that there are some other things to, to better your life. And yet what I see in, in the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, this infilling of the Holy Spirit's power in our life, has little to do with you and everything to do with the kingdom and the purpose of accomplishing the mission. If your motivation is not to serve, then you don't have the Holy Spirit of God in you. And the role of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is given so that we can be more like Jesus. So that we can be more like Jesus. If you find it difficult to be more like Jesus on your own, you should. You weren't meant to do it on your own. You cannot become more like Jesus on your own. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Is to fill you so that it's not your strength that you should try harder and be better and sin less. But when the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Scripture says, Jesus says, you will be witnesses. You, you, will, you will experience something that you will not be able to hold back and you will be a witness of the power of God within you. You will be able to proclaim truth that you yourself have experienced. Romans 8.29, the Apostle Paul says it this way, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Those that God knows are his, he has the will, one will, that you become like Jesus. This is what he has predestined you to do. That you would become more like Jesus. Another reason the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, the role of the Holy Spirit is that It's for the profiting of others. It's to benefit others. 1 Corinthians 12 is a great chapter for you to read through this week to begin to understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we'll talk about here in a moment. But in verse 7, it says this, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. You're given this power for the good of the church, the local body, and for the advancement of the gospel. 
It's not for your own experience or for your own uh, warm fuzzies. You know, we all like those kind of warm moments and fuzzy moments. Oh, we just had a great moment in church this morning and it wasn't that great. And then we go out and we forget about it and we just sort of go, oh, I hope that happens next Sunday. But what about the rest of the week? What's the motivation? And I think this is where Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 follows it up by saying, if you have all these great and wonderful things that happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit, but you don't do it with the right motives, with love, it's nothing. You're just noisy and you're just taking up space. He doesn't quite say it that way, but you get the point. But because of the Spirit's power, we are then empowered to serve. When you talk about the Pentecostal movement of which our church belongs to the Assemblies of God, a Pentecostal movement, we're talking about, I think there's this this conception of what Pentecostalism is. Oh, those are the people that speak in tongues and they kind of do weird things in church and all that. But really, at its core, Pentecostalism believes that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still available and in operation Today, So those things that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, those gifts are still available to you and to me, not just to the apostles and the believers of first century church, but to you and to me for the purpose of accomplishing the mission of God, the spreading of the gospel throughout the world. This is why I became an Assemblies of God preacher. I belong to that fellowship. Because at its inception, a hundred years ago this August, the Assemblies of God set out to become the greatest missionary sending movement the world had ever seen. And it is today. The greatest missionary sending movement the world has ever seen. And we're just getting started, baby. I want our church to be the greatest missionary sending church this world has ever seen. And it starts with you, and it starts with me. When we were shooting the video, we were trying to decide, are we going to pull people up when they said, you, you in the third row? You? And we were pointing out people, and I thought, you know what? It's all of us. All of us are chosen. Each one of you. That video is about you. You are empowered by the Spirit to serve. May it be said of us, and may the words of our mouth reflect this, that when there's a move of the Spirit, when we we say this phrase sometimes in our church, when you hear people say that, that your your mind immediately thinks one of two things. More people just turn their lives over to Christ and experience the life transforming power of Christ, and more people are serving. I think those are the two greatest measurements of the Holy Spirit moving in any church is that people's lives are changed, that they've then given their lives to Christ. So whether it comes through healing or through the preaching of the word, through a friendly smile at the door, but they turn their lives to Christ, they surrender, they have this life transforming moment. And the second is that people begin to serve more. Not just in our church, but outside the walls of our church. Because when the Holy Spirit empowers you, I think, and scripture reflects this, that you become more 
aware. And this is the second trait that I see in great servants around us here at Christian Chapel and those inspirational people in my life is that they have an awareness, the awareness of a servant. I like what Matthew 9.36 says at the bottom of the screen here. When he saw the crowd, speaking of Jesus, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had an awareness. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he didn't just see people, but he really saw them. He saw their needs. He saw that they were like sheep. They were harassed and helpless. He was, uh, the writer Matthew is explaining their spiritual condition. Harassed and helpless. That Jesus was seeing this about people. Could that be said of you? That you perceive the needs of those around you. I think that's part of being aware is that you see people's needs. Oftentimes I pray and I've challenged our students to pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, Give me eyes to see in the spiritual. Give me ears to hear in the spiritual. And give me a heart and mind to perceive in the spiritual. And then give me feet to act. Is that your prayer? When you, when you go into work each day, when you go to school each day, when you wake up in your own home and you say, God, give me spiritual eyes and spiritual ears and spiritual heart and mind. You're saying, Holy Spirit, empower me to see beyond the skin of this world. To see beyond that so that I might see how you see people. Whether this is your family and your friends around you in your immediate circle of influence or right here at the church, being aware of the needs of those around you here or in our community in mid-Missouri and then around the world. I think when you you see the need because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power, it gives you a love that you don't have of your own accord. When the challenge that Christ gives to love your neighbor and to pray for your enemies, these things that sort of don't really make sense, he's not asking you to do it on your own, to sort of generate positive thoughts towards people. He's saying with the help of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can love people beyond your own ability. It's a strange thing to experience love that is not of your own. But out of that love, it births a passion. Because when you invite the Holy Spirit in and the the Holy Spirit's power is in you, you begin to see things differently than before. You have a, a greater passion perhaps You see things differently than me even. Oftentimes I'm encouraged by people who see a need and they want to act on it. And I love encouraging people because I don't always see the needs. I don't necessarily perceive them the way the Holy Spirit is helping you perceive them. I always try to help people uh, have have two ways they they, uh, see things. Do you have a burden for it or do you have a passion for it? And here's the way I kind of see that. There are a lot of things that I kind of have a burden for. Like I see something and I go, oh man, that's a real need. I wonder if I can help in some way. And sometimes there's a motivation to do something. But it's not like an ongoing thing that I, I wake up thinking about. When the Holy Spirit gives you a passion for something, you wake up thinking about it. 
In fact, you can't fall asleep because you're thinking about it. When he stirs up a passion in your heart, you, you begin to write down the dream. Man, if I, I'm, if I did this, and, and you begin to, of your own accord, begin to think of ways, solutions that you could meet that need, that's a passion. And sometimes your passion is different than my passion. I might have a burden for it and be like, yeah, I see that need. But when you're, a pa- when you're passionate about it, you go out to be the solution. And I think those who operate in the Holy Spirit, when you're empowered by the Spirit, you understand your identity. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, gives us the basis for identity in Christ as believers. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a priest. Now, for some of you who grew up in a Catholic background, that brings up all sorts of weird memories for you. I understand. But we're talking about the priesthood that was limited in, in the Jewish culture to just a certain few. You had to be born in the right family, first of all, which you have no control over. And then second of all, you had to be chosen. You had to qualify. There was all these things before you actually got to step into the priesthood. And yet those who are are of Christ, you are a priest. You get to minister to the Lord and minister to people. And there's a few things that I think you need to know about being this priest. One, you are chosen. And you are gifted. Each one is is gifted according to God's pleasure. God saw fit to give you certain spiritual gifts that you can operate in, sometimes for a season, sometimes for a lifetime. But these are gifts and abilities that you could not do on your own. It might be, again, a desire, a passion, an attitude, a skill. Generally speaking, spiritual gifts are God-given graces, be it special abilities, offices, or manifestations, meant for the works of service to benefit and build up the body of Christ as a whole. And these are found in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 4. We have a a very brief list of those listed out here for you. The gift of exhortation, of giving. Giving is actually a gift. All believers give, but those who are given the gift of giving oftentimes have an entrepreneurial spirit and have a supernatural ability to make money. I don't think I'm one of those guys. The gift of leadership, of mercy, of of prophecy. And you can go on through the list of these spiritual gifts that are given to each and every one of us. Second thing is you have a unique shape. What is a shape? Well, it's an acronym that I did not create, but I I really like it because it moves us beyond the spiritual gifts and it takes into account how God has wired you. And so the shape simply stands for this. It'll be up on the screen. S is for spiritual gift, H for heart, A for ability, P for personality, and E for experience. And you take all those things and this gives you your unique shape. 
how God has built you. I once knew a lady who took a spiritual gifts test that only looked at, at that one area of spiritual gifts, and she answered it. And she, I have to say, this lady was a great servant. You know, we're all asked to serve, scripturally given that example and requirement, but some of us have the gift, the spiritual gift of serving. We just have this knack for really meeting people's needs, this desire to, to meet people's needs. And this lady was one of those ladies. But she took this test one time, and it said, you have the spiritual gift of teaching. So she quit all of the areas of service that she was in, and then decided she was going to become a teacher at the church, which is fine. She was actually pretty good at it. But in the meantime, she left behind all these wonderful things that she had previously been doing. I always say, take those spiritual gift tests with a grain of salt. Take them once, then give it a couple months, and then take it again. You might have been in a good mood that day and a bad mood this time. Who knows? But sometimes, you know, those those tests kind of can be skewed. But oftentimes, those kind of spiritual gifts can be discerned by trusted people around you who say, man, I really noticed this about you. Maybe you've had that experience. I I certainly have. I, I enjoy hearing that from people when they say, I really see this in you. I think you have a gift for that. Those are things that confirm, and for our young people, those are important words to hear. Those are life-giving, life-affirming words to a young person when you say, man, I really see the gift of leadership. Man, I really see the, the gift of serving, the gift of administration, the gift of celibacy. Um, okay, so just getting it there. Okay. Don't, ever, don't say that to them. But when you take into account your spiritual gift, your heart, your abilities, your personality, and your experience, never forsake the experiences you've had, good or bad, the the tragedies and the triumphs, because those are the very things that God may want to use for ministry, for the benefit of this local body, and for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why all five of those things, I believe, are important. And that final thing of awareness, it talks about... You have a place in this spiritual body. You take your shape and you say, where does it fit in this local context? How can I be of service to this local body of Christ, this church, so that this church can grow and be better, so that our community in mid-Missouri might be impacted? I think the third thing we need to be aware of is is joy. Joy. So many of us search for happiness, and yet the scripture promises joy. It never promises happiness. And I think the only place joy can be really found is in serving. I heard it said when you, that joy is found when your greatest desire meets the world's greatest need. So what's one of the world's greatest needs? And how can your greatest desires meet that need? The Apostle Paul, later in Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, he says it this way. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Understand that Paul is writing this from prison. 
And he's saying, I see your service and I want you to see my service and let's rejoice together. I rejoice with you. There is joy in serving. And I truly think that's where lasting joy comes from is when we give of ourselves. When there's an element of sacrifice, when you know you've met someone's need and you've probably experienced this. I can't tell you how how many times I've heard students or adults say to me after doing a a project of some sort, say, Pastor, man, we should do this more often. I just feel so good after serving. I'm like, I know. That's how you're supposed to feel. You should be completely worn out and dog tired. Right, El Salvador team? But when you get on that plane and you've spent yourself on behalf of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you slump into that airplane chair and you tip it back as far as it'll go. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You've spent yourself on behalf of the gospel and you feel this joy that no one and nothing can take its place. And finally, the action of a servant. I'm inspired by the actions of servants. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, talks about faith and deeds. The argument is, well, I, don't, I, I can't work my way to heaven, so I just have faith. And James is taking that and saying, yes, faith is all it takes. However, your deeds, your, the works that you do demonstrate that you truly have faith. And so here's how he puts it in James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, by faith, by its, faith itself, if it is not accompanied by action is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Skip down to the end of that chapter. Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So how are you acting as a servant? That's the question. A disciple of Christ, one can, I'll say it this way, one cannot be a disciple of Christ without serving. It's impossible. You cannot be his disciple without serving. And you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and not serve. I just think it's impossible. I think when you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit, there will come in you a desire to meet some sort of need to advance the gospel. This isn't some kind of social justice. It's the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ, this life-saving power coming through you. All God's people are called to the ministry, not just the guy on stage. That's why I like that video, because I can't do it all. Our, Our staff can't do it all, and we shouldn't. Because our job, according to Scripture, is to help raise up the body of believers to do that which God has called you to do. And if I take your place, I sin. I don't want to sin. More than I already do. That's a joke. All right. (laughs) 
But you have a role to play that's very important. All God's people are called to the ministry. All God's people are sent on mission. The questions you need to ask yourself is where and among whom? Where and among whom? Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Ouch. He's dead and his words still sting. I want to be that kind of preacher. Where and among whom? Where's your mission field? Among whom is God calling you? I think the action of a disciple of Christ, of a servant, is demonstrated through compassion. This idea that your attitude plus your awareness moves you to action. I think if you have the attitude of a servant, you can't help but serve. If you have the awareness of a servant, you can't help but serve. And when you combine those two, it's not just passion, it's compassion. I see the need and I'm moved to come and meet that need, to participate in relieving that need. You're moved by compassion. I think if you are aware of a need and you don't, and you feel this desire, you should act on it. I always tell people, you should just experiment. Because oftentimes there's this confusion. Well, I don't know if God's calling me to do that. Well, the devil ain't calling you to feed the hungry. So act on it. Experiment. Jump into a ministry here at C2. Jump into the the ministries and the the serve opportunities that, that we present to you. Jump in with both feet. Who knows? It might be the very thing God has called you to do. And in that moment, you discover it. There's a great moment in every Christian's life when you discover that thing which God is calling you to, that very thing which you feel like, man, this is what I was created for. That's good preaching. (laughs) The question is, serve or be served? If not you, then who? I've always encouraged our students, God is looking for availability, not ability. I qualify that. If you're going to sing on the worship team, you should have some ability. But oftentimes, when I read scripture, I see guys and gals who have no ability that God says, like Gideon, hey, mighty warrior. What? He takes people who are available. I'll tell you what, I've been in youth ministry, I'm retired now, but where I had kids who had more talent than they knew what to do with. You know what I'm talking about. Some, some of them were musicians. I mean, they, they pick up the guitar and before you know it, they're playing every solo and you're just like, wow, I kind of hate you a little bit. <laughs> you know, it makes you jealous. Kids who had, who had physical talents, but they were so stinking busy. I would pastor, but you know, I got all these other things going on. Constantly, oh, pastor, I would, but you know, I got all these things going on and that's cool. Okay, maybe that's your mission field. God's calling you to, to whatever you're doing there. I find these kids who, who didn't have a lot going on, they didn't have anything going on after school, I say, hey, I'm looking for some musicians. You think you could learn the guitar? Yeah, I could give it a shot. And they learn it, and suddenly they discover a love and a passion and an ability, and they were available. I'll take a kid with half the ability who's available than a kid with all the ability 
and no availability. You know what I'm saying? Who cares if the guy's the greatest plumber if he can't come fix the leak in your sink? Right? Some of you are praying that prayer this morning. For some people, it's a lifestyle. It's a job. But what about you? It doesn't have to take over every hour of your day, but when you begin to see your work as worship and as service to God, I'm telling you, it'll reframe every hour of your day. Every time you step into your workplace, you're saying, God, how can I serve these people? When you wake up, mom, stay-at-home mom, and you say, God, how can I serve my children today? Dads, when you wake up saying, how can I serve my children and my wife today? And I know some of you have been hurt by churches in the past. You felt taken advantage of. You've been mistreated. You know what? Ministry is messy sometimes. And, and leaders, myself included, we get it wrong. We mess up. We don't do it right. Could you extend us some grace? Would you be willing to step up one more time? As leaders, we are learning and we're growing and we're asking that you extend us that grace. And I know sometimes the expectations and the boundaries and the communication don't all go together, but we're getting there. But what about your own responsibility? Sometimes when we are hurt, I know one person one time in Minnesota, I said, you know what? I don't think you can be on the team anymore. And they said, I can't believe this. I'm hurt that you would ask me to step down. I said, you haven't been here for two months. I'm just asking you to continue what you're doing. <laughs> Don't come. When, when you commit to something, commit to it with all your heart, with all the expectations that have been given to you, do it. And I tell you, there'll be less hurt on your end when the, when the leader has to hold you accountable. I, I can tell you this. I've met with ministry leaders. They don't want to confront you on things that they need you to do as a ministry leader yourself. Some of you might be confused. I don't know where God wants me to serve. Well, we have a little card on the chair for you today to help you. Be sure to visit our website at www.c2church.com to find out more information about C2 Church and ways you can connect with other people. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter.